0: Welcome to the Pacific Coast Church Podcast, coming to you from our beloved Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey, Pacific Church, thanks so much for joining us today here at Church Online. Wherever you're watching from, listen, it is truly an honor for us that you would join us for worship together. And as many of you know, this is a huge season in the life and really the history of our young church. So much good stuff is happening already in 2024 with first and foremost the purchase and the closing of this beautiful property, this, this sanctuary that I'm standing in. We've, we've had, we've only had the keys for a few short weeks and already so, Many improvements and upgrades have been taking place seven days a week. Everything from fresh new paint and even new carpet throughout the facility. We, we, we've been upgrading electrical and plumbing and lighting and, and sound equipment and, and video as, as well as so many other things that I just can't, I can't list right now. And what's so cool is so much of it has been donated. Oh yeah, all the new carpet was donated by a local business. So, so, so many of you have given of your time. So many people you're watching, maybe you've given of your expertise, maybe in painting, all kinds of different manual labor tasks. So for, so for me, it's been so amazing seeing our church rally to make all of it happen, and it continues. And so here's what I want. I, I just want to say thank you so much again from the bottom of my heart. God is just doing so, just incredible things uh, in 2024 for Pacific, Pacific Church and, and he's, he's using all of us, every last one of us. Well, not only is it a big time of year for our local church, it's also a really important time for the global church. You say, well, what are you talking about, JF? Well, I'm talking about the fact that were just over a month or so out until Easter Sunday, which is like the church's Super Bowl of the year. You know what I'm talking about? And let me just say, we as Pacific Church already are gearing up for that weekend, starting with Good Friday services, followed by a huge Saturday community event that includes 10,000 Easter eggs and bouncy houses for the kids in our community, then of course, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, where we will all come together and celebrate Jesus Christ alive. So make sure, come on, just just go ahead and clear your Easter weekend because we're going to have a lot of fun things going on together here at Pacific Church. We would love for you to join us for that Easter weekend. But with that said, The global church we we, as the global church we recognize this time right now leading up to easter sunday as the season of lent and the season of lent is the 40-day time period leading up to easter sunday if you remember in the new testament jesus he went to the wilderness for 40 days to pray and fast before he started his ministry so That symbol carries over to this season we're in right now called the season of Lent. So before we come together on Easter, this is a time of preparing our hearts for the day through prayer and fasting ourselves, right? It's also a time of repentance and remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. So here's what I want you to know. Before we get to Easter Sunday, We as a local church, we're going to spend some time in this Lenten season at the foot of the cross, reading, reflecting, and meditating on what that cross is all about. So, today, we're starting a brand new series that I'm entitling, Seven Statements from the Cross. While Jesus was hanging on that cross, suffering, in agony, in pain, he made seven different statements that weave together the promise of salvation. It it was his dying last words, if you will. And if you ever sat with someone on their deathbed, whatever words they're able to muster up, you always lean in. Because these words are important. Have you ever been there? Last words are the words that we all remember and and we cling to. So here's Jesus. He's moments away from death. And he says seven specific, deeply meaningful things. And I'll list them out for you, and you'll see them on the screens. All right? Seven statements Jesus gave from the cross. First one, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Secondly, today you will be with me in paradise. Third, woman, behold thy son. Four, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Five, I thirst. Six, it is finished. And here's the seventh thing that Jesus said from the cross. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. So for the next several weeks, before we get to Easter Sunday, we're gonna focus on the cross. And and today, for just a few minutes here, I wanna start with where Jesus said from the cross, the very first thing that he said as he hung on that cross, bleeding, dying, this is what he said, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And we see this written in the gospels, specifically the gospel of Luke chapter 23, and I wanna read it. There's a couple of things that leads up to this. Starting in verse 33, this is what the text says. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And here's verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. From the moment we walked into this building, my eyes were drawn to the cross that hangs on the wall. In fact, I remember the first time driving down the street and seeing the cross that sits atop our sanctuary, even before I even saw the church. My eyes were drawn to it, and almost immediately I had a connection. I I remember the first time I walked into our new sanctuary, and I saw the huge cross on the wall. The very first thought that I had was, the the, the folks that built this joint 50 years ago, those folks 50 years ago who built this sanctuary, those are my people. Why? Because that cross has deep meaning to me and to many of you. In fact, I can remember the first time my daughter, Izzy, she was little and we were taking her to church and she, we're taking her to the Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. Essentially, we were just introducing her to Christianity. And I can remember her one Sunday, seeing a cross attached to the roof of the church that I grew up in here in Tacoma. And she, be, she, she being so intuitive, I can remember her saying, Daddy, uh, what's that on the roof? And I said, oh Izzy, that's a cross. And she said, yeah, Dad, I know what it is. But what does it mean? Dad, I've seen it before. In fact, you have one tattooed on your arm. In fact, I do. But but what does it mean? As being as young as she was, all I could say was, Izzy, it means that Jesus loves you. Baby girl, whenever you see that cross, know that it's saying to you that Jesus loves you. I mean, I wasn't about to tell her that the cross was an ancient Roman killing device. Like, I couldn't, like, go into the specifics of that. She was too little. But the reality is the cross in the ancient Roman world was indeed, it was used to inflict the worst kind of pain and then kill people in the most brutal, ruthless, shameful ways. Being executed through the use of a cross was the worst possible way one could die because the individual could end up hanging there for days until they finally choked to death on their own fluids so yes the cross is also a story of just how evil humanity can be but it also tells a story of the pain and suffering that jesus endured for all of us but with that said the cross is also pointing us to the empty tomb the the, the cross all, all is this beautiful symbol that points up to a living loving forgiving accepting god with arms stretched wide so here's jesus he's been betrayed stripped naked he's been beaten by the roman soldiers they mocked him they cursed him they spit on him they put a crown of thorns on him and then they nailed him to an old rugged cross and as jesus hangs there he utters these words father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing now notice how jesus prays to his father for those 40 days He, he, he prays to his father in the garden of gethsemane and then moments before his death He prays yet again to his Father in heaven. I think there's something that we can all learn from him in this moment on the cross where he makes this statement. So for a couple of minutes here, I wanna give you three things that we can learn about what Jesus is doing here in this moment. And here's the deal. If we can embrace them, it can change how we live, all right? So here's the first thought. In this moment, while Jesus is hanging and he makes his statement, Father, forgive them. Here's what's going on here. Jesus fulfills the prophetic word. That's the first thought. Jesus fulfills the prophetic word. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus ending up on that cross wasn't just some mix-up that the Romans got all wrong. It it wasn't just some mistake. Uh, It wasn't just, it wasn't, it wasn't just a bad case of the we got the wrong guy. No, 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 no. It wasn't just all that, no. Jesus up on that cross dying and right before doing so, praying to his father, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing was actually the fulfillment of an ancient Old Testament prophecy going back 700 years. Now, let let, let me show you this in the prophetic book of Isaiah chapter 53. Now, in this chapter, the prophet Isaiah is describing the coming Messiah, and we all know the Messiah is Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. It says, Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low, in low esteem has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Greshers. while Jesus hung there bleeding naked on that cross, alone, you know what he did? He spent about an hour cursing out the Roman soldiers and telling them that in a few minutes they would all be going to hell. No, that's not what he did. In fact, the, the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, confirms to us that Jesus intercedes. It, what, and what does that mean? It means that he prays deeply for his transgressors, that his father would forgive them because they're all a bunch of idiots. No, because they don't even know what in the world they are doing. And who are Jesus' transgressors? Well, of course, the Roman Empire, the crowds shouting crucify, absolutely. But do you know who else? Me. Yep. Me. Yep. You. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says this, for all, not just the Roman soldiers or the, no, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus intercedes, he prays for his transgressors. Jesus prays on behalf of those who meant harm to him and and really only harm. And And, and here's what I want you to know. Jesus is praying for us even now. Oh yeah. Jesus prayed for you then and he prays for you even now and Hebrews seven twenty five confirms that it says this therefore <laughs> he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them he always lives to pray for them he is praying for you even right now. You want one more? Okay, L- look at this, Romans eight thirty four. I wanna confirm this, he is praying for you. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also, what's going on? interceding for us in his worst moment when everyone had turned on him betrayed him and 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 were even in the act of killing him jesus lifts his head and prays father forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing and in doing so jesus fulfills the prophetic word what's the lesson for us Start with prayer for others. And and here's the second thing that we can learn about what Jesus is doing here. That is the power, uh, the, the power in the cross, the power to change even our own lives. And here's the second thing that Jesus is doing, and that is Jesus models an enemy love. Let me say it again. Secondly, Jesus models enemy love. The most famous sermon ever recorded and given was one Jesus himself gave and it's entitled the sermon on the mount. In fact, I encourage you to look it up today. It's in the book of Matthew. Well, in this teaching, Jesus makes a radical statement that his audience including those of religious Pharisees would have, would have would have been shocked to hear. He makes this just radical statement and, and and the listeners would have been like, "What?" Let me show you. Matthew chapter 5 verse starting in verse 43. It says this, "You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." Now, I underlined the part at the beginning of verse 43 that says, you have heard that it was said. And the reason why I had that underlined is because the listeners, they had. You see, Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience who had been taught and they they knew the law of Moses that was clear about loving your neighbor. They, they, they knew that part. But Jesus was talking to a group of religious leaders who were teaching that the only way to truly love your neighbor was to hate your enemy, right? So Jesus He, he throws this curveball at culture. And he says, No, I, I present to you something different. No." I present to you something that requires sacrifice, that requires humility. Two characteristics, by the way, that the religious elites of that day, they they had no idea of really, they they weren't living like this. And I I say, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Jesus was saying, absolutely love your neighbor, but love your enemies too and pray for them. Jesus said, yeah, no, it's not just the neighbor you like, who looks like you, who thinks like you. It's not just the neighbor that voted like you or plays pickleball with you. No. I say love that neighbor who disagrees with you. Jesus says love that neighbor who you have nothing in common with. Jesus says, hey, I love that, love that neighbor who hates you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's called enemy love as Jesus hung on that cross and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He redefined the word neighbor. So that now, whenever we hear that word, it doesn't just mean one type of person who the religious elites taught about, but rather it included everybody. You see, Jesus practiced what he preached. You see, when he gave this radical nugget (laughs) <laughs> that I'm just calling enemy love on the mountain called Beatitudes. He, he knew that the only way for Pacific Church in Tacoma, Washington to ever be able to live this out was for him to walk the talk. And that, my friend, is exactly what he did. As he hung there on that cross, as he prayed that prayer to his Father in heaven, he was modeling modeling what extreme enemy love looked like. So the question that I pose to you is, who do you consider your enemy? If, If you're like me, you have enemies. If you're if you're like me, you know what betrayal feels like. You know what slander and abuse feels like. So I'm in no way saying this is easy. In fact, it's, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. At the very least, today, you can begin to open your mind to what Jesus was and is teaching his followers. Enemy love, enemy love. Here's the last thing that we can learn about What Jesus is doing here that has the power to change our lives. And that is number three, Jesus displays his overwhelming mercy. Let's go back to the text in Luke chapter 23. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know, I, uh, I underlined that word then for a reason, and I'll get back to it in a second. But here's what I want to say. From the moment Pilate sentenced Jesus to death, up until this moment that, he, that he's on the cross, you know, remember, Pilate says to the people, the, the people want to crucify you, so let it be so. I wash my hands of it all the way up until Jesus is nailed on the cross. There is no recorded writing of Jesus saying anything to his transgressors. He remained silent. And in fact, in the Old Testament, it says in Isaiah 53, let's go back to that text, verse seven. This is what it says about that. It says, he, meaning Jesus, was oppressed, afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears, is silent. So he did not open his mouth. My friend, Jesus remained silent. What's fascinating about this entire account is that Jesus doesn't pray for his enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane. He he doesn't pray for his enemies on the way to his trial. He, He doesn't pray for his enemies while he's being beaten to an almost death. No. It was after humanity had done its worst to him. It was when humanity was least deserving. When we're in our darkest moment, then Jesus spoke. And when Jesus spoke, he did not speak a rebuke or call lightning from heaven to wipe out his enemies, no. When Jesus spoke, he offered us up to the Father in prayer so the question is what can we learn from that well we can learn how jesus always is for mercy we we can learn that jesus always offers his mercy to us even at our lowest of lows and i want to say today his mercy is available to you my friend his mercy pulled me out from my darkest moments in life his mercy his mercy his mercy when he could have he could have cursed his enemies on that road up to golgotha he could have cursed Pilate in his faith he could have yelled out and gave all the reasons why they were all about to die but he showed compassion and mercy. And when he finally opens his mouth as he hangs on that cross, instead of blasting down curses and telling everybody that was putting him there on that cross that they're all going to die and go to hell and all of these different things, he just simply lifted his head and he prayed to his father, Father, forgive them. Father, show mercy on them because they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. And so today, my friend, as we're in this season of Lent, the 40 or so days leading up to Easter Sunday, as in just a handful of weeks, we're going to come together as Pacific Church. We're going to celebrate the risen Jesus. We're gonna celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. And what's even more exciting, it feels like, is that we get to do it in our brand new sanctuary on, a, on this beautiful property that is gonna be a place of hope and light for this neighborhood, for this community. It's gonna be a celebration. I can't wait for the community event that we're throwing at Stewart Heights Park just a block away. Can't wait to meet all brand new neighbors. It's gonna be amazing. But this is a time, this season of Lent, that we need to spend some time reflecting. This is a window out of our 365 days called one year where the global church is focusing on the cross. And so maybe you're watching today and you're meditating on that reality that Jesus came, that he served, he taught, and that he gave his life on the cross for the sin of humanity, including you, including me. And you say, JF, as we're in this season of Lent, I wanna repent, meaning I just wanna confess that I've done some wrong things in my life. You know, that's a good thing. It's a really good thing, to confess with our mouths that yeah we're sinners. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's a good thing, and 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 God's calling us to that. And I just want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, I know I know I know that's that's me. I I have to get up daily and say Lord, I made a mistake yesterday. I said something that wasn't nice to a loved one or whatever. We all make mistakes, and so there's times where I need to repent. And and Paul even. St. Paul even encouraged us to do it on a, on, on a regular daily basis. And so today, maybe that's you. But maybe today you're at a place where you want to repent and say yes to Jesus as we're in this season called Lent. Maybe that's you. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is say a simple prayer like this. Lord, I repent. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I make mistakes. And I pray, God, that you would forgive me, that you would wash me of my sins. That you would make me new, that you would come into my life. And here it is, Lord, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Messiah that we just read about in the book of Isaiah and then all the way through up into the gospels, the one who literally hung on a cross and gave his life for me. God, I believe that that, that, that is, was indeed you and that you are alive and I receive and accept you into my life. Thank you. Thank you that the healing process has begun. And that you're doing new things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to pacificcoast.church.